something is discipling you. Yeah. The question is what? Yeah. And can you even see it? That would be maybe my prayer for our conversation, that our eyes would be getting opened. I'm not just a consumer. That is not going to be where I find my ultimate reality. Where are your eyes? Hmm. Where is your attention? The Shepherd in the Shrink podcast can only happen with your support. Please go to patreon.com, search for the Shepherd in the Shrink podcast and find all kinds of cool stuff that we have in store for you. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology. Or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Well, good afternoon, Marty. Good afternoon, Matt. First thing we have to do today, because today, the day of all days, I have to sing to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Marty. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. I'll uh, blow out the lights on the computer screen. Good, good. Yeah. And And that is not the way Marilyn Monroe sings it. (laughs) Hey, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants, Matt. Next year. Okay. Got to leave them wanting more. Well, I am super excited because we are kicking off a brand new series. And I think we should call it Identity Crisis. I like, I like. Why are we in an identity crisis and what does it look like, Matt? I think there is a search for meaning. I think there's a search for purpose in our world and the United States, especially, let's say it. I think that that modern culture is seeking to do nothing but rebrand itself or reinvent itself. We always have to say, this is the new latest, greatest, blah, blah, blah. This is the new latest, greatest episode of the series. This is the new latest, greatest beauty product. This is the new latest, greatest exercise. This is the Mm. new latest, greatest financial investment. And why does it have to be thrown in with new and greatest and latest? I think it's because we've lost the sense of who we are. If we were secure in who we are in terms of our identity, then we would not be looking for the latest, greatest so much the way that we do. Well, let me underscore that uh, with a statistic. The amount Americans spend in a single weekend is more than half the total they give to churches in an entire year. Hear that again. The amount Americans spend in a single weekend, just going on a single weekend, whatever you're spending all that dough on, is more than half the total they give to churches in an entire year. What is wrong? What's our identity there? What's our, our what's the highest thing that we sacrifice our our, our hard earned uh, do re mi for? Right? What are we sacrificing to? Right? I think to maintain this identity we have that we have been told we are consumers. And if I need to feel good, what what's the joke? Go shopping, buy something. It triggers something in me. Yeah. One of our number one identities, and we're going to look at six different identities, six different ways that we think. We have been trained since birth to think of ourselves as consumers, that I'm not quite complete. I need that. I'm not quite complete. I've got to have that. I got to consume that. I got to have the freedom to buy. Yeah. And we'll go into a little bit of the neuroscience on that too, because uh, here's another stat, Matt, just going to lay the groundwork for this. 
Enough K cups were thrown out in 2014 to encircle the earth 12 times. Nearly 40% of food in America goes to waste. We throw it out. Mm. Wealthy nations waste almost as much food as is produced in all sub-Saharan Africa. The implications of what you are reading are enormous for our world, for people as individuals, for societies. And I think you're right. It goes right down to our identities. Who am I? Mm -hmm. Because then the behavior follows. I want what I want. What I want is the highest good because I want it, not because it's the highest good. I just read a, a really succinct, neat book about a young girl written by her grandma overcoming the young girl's mom's addiction. So the grandma's daughter was just completely addicted to drugs and would choose that over any other good yes. in their lives. Well, now, by the way, with that addiction, it's the same um, neuropathways as are tapped into is buying things. It's the dopamine, the dopaminergic pathways. And so dopamine, people often think it's a pleasure chemical. It's really not a pleasure chemical like the opiates like the endogenous morphines, it's more of the pursue. It's that goal directed thing. So imagine a slot machine, for instance, you hardly ever win on a slot machine if you win at all. So it can't be the pleasure of winning that keeps grandma there with a, uh, her third screwdriver in her hand, pulling that lever. It's the anticipation of something better that's going to come. The, the opportunity is that's what dopamine is. And that's what our marketing is doing and um, how quickly we buy things. So, so if you can just swipe your phone, you're more likely to complete the sale than if you have to even wait a few seconds mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to delay that. That is dopamine. What are we chasing? What, what has that promise of satisfaction? I think that's what we're looking for. The promise of satisfaction. Of course, what happens? You hit send. You get the money taken out of your bank account or your credit card account, and the thing arrives. There's an excitement about it literally coming up to the door. Ooh, what is it? I never shop. I never shop online, so it's never for me. So I'm never very excited about it. But say that again, because you're the only person that I know that has ever said that. It's true. I hate, I don't know if I'm stingy or what. But I, I hardly ever buy things online, ever. So you're able to delay gratification. I don't think I have that many things that I'm on the lookout for. Now, online, I can scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. You know, if it's something I'm a fan of, you know, I can go deep into that game. I can go deep into reading about that person or listening to videos of those singers or whatever. But when it comes to literally spending money, getting it taken out of my account. I'm pretty cheap. Well, good for you. Look, I look for this because um, I deal with people who are in pain, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and people in pain are looking for any way to get out of that pain. And oftentimes it comes through, like I, I, I know people that have like a shoe collection that would make Abeldo Marcos jealous, Mm -hmm. Right. And, and they don't need that many shoes. It's that experience of, oh, there is the thing that will make me, you know, the dream almost is what the, Guy Kawasaki called it. Like, here's what marketing is. Show someone a dream. So they want that. And, you know, it's not a big dream, but it's just like, oh, those would look good on me, you know, and then, and then make it really easy for them to pull that trigger and, mm -hmm. and make that purchase. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned marketing. Mm -hmm. And if you want to talk about a little background, marketing 
never was a thing until after the late 1800s. Before then, you know, the free market economy began in the 1700s in the United States. Then along comes the Industrial Revolution, where people's meaning is detached from their work. And they just become cogs in some giant machine that's mass producing and leading to all kinds of bad work settings and work environments for people. Then along comes Edison, who links the steam engine to the power plant and cities have electricity. And so all of a sudden there's more free time for people, more the day is lengthened because of that. And then comes the rise of the consumer market. And that's where marketing first comes in, really the mid-late 1800s. Um, there's not a ton of advertising for stuff before then. It was cottage industry kind of things before the Industrial Revolution. And then along come department stores where you can one-stop shopping. And then along comes Sears Roebuck catalog. And then along comes the shopping center. And then along comes the mall. And then along comes credit cards. Do you know what the first credit card was? Do you know which one it was? I, I don't. Diners Club. Diners Club? Yeah. And it wasn't oh. until 1957, which of course is, you know, 50, uh, 65 years ago. Yeah. But Diners Club in 1957, where you didn't even have to part with your hard-earned cash, which I know for some people, when consuming consumes them and they go into debt, one of the first things they say is to cut up your credit cards and use cash so yeah. that it reminds you what you're doing. But what that has led to is the power of like new and improved everything. Yes. So it's not just enough to have a good chair. I got to have the right chair, the newest chair, the one that's not old fashioned or out of date, or that doesn't remind me of my grandma's house. You know, even, even uh, what do they call it? Farm chic, farmhouse chic. Uh-huh. Okay. You can get very few things from an old farmhouse that you'd actually want in your house today, but we want to copy it. So it's not uh, even like you can reuse stuff. You know, everyone says, oh, olive green, that went out of fashion in the late seventies, but now it's back, but it's not the same. So you got to buy the new stuff. Yes, that's right. It's uh, called manufactured obsolescence. Manufactured obsolescence. I love it. Yeah. And, and if your car still works five years later, but you're kind of thinking, oh, it looks kind of old. Yeah. That's all been handed to us mm -hmm. by this mindset. And what it's done is created this insatiable identity. I read, and this is an older statistic, maybe 15 years ago, in advertising, there is $200 million every day that is spent by companies for advertising. And what it's led to is this consumer mindset. Now, a couple of things, when I think of consumer mindset, what does that mean? Just buy, 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 buy. How much money is enough? How much stuff is enough? Well, just one more. But it leads to things like this, mix and match. What's mix and match? Mix and match means, well, I want something over here, but I want something from over there too. It's not just enough to have one. I've got to have the supplement things. Ah, yeah. And I can pick and choose. I don't have to take anymore what one company hands me because there's a million companies on my Instagram feed and my Facebook feed, let alone when I just set out to type something in on my laptop. So mix and match, hunting for the bargain has become this thing. And I'm not saying there's that everything about this is bad. The power of choices is really good. The idea of hunting for something that's less expensive 
if that's what you mean by bargain is good. Comparison shopping is a really good thing. Until you apply all this spiritually to our spiritual lives, yes. or our, uh, the rest of our lives, does it fit me is a huge thing. Does it trigger that ah, in me? And then there's always the return policy. You can buy 20 things and return every single one of them and not pay a dime. Because they're just glad that you're going to return and keep having transactions. Right, right. To stay on their radar. That's the goal of the company. So do you know who Edward Bernays was? I cannot tell you, but I've heard his name before. Okay, because we're, we're, we're talking about advertising and, and marketing, right? So if you take a look at the older ads, like the black and white ones, um, you'll see this set with nothing on it. So just, you know, nothing in the back. Ground. And you'll see this guy, you know, with nice hair and a suit on, and he just start checking down on the features of this new camel cigarette, you know, and he'll say, you know, this extra blah, blah, blah filter and, he, and, and just checking down the um, features. Mm-hmm. Well, people don't buy features. Okay. And Edward Bernays, this is a little spooky, but he was a nephew of Sigmund Freud. So he understood mm-hmm. the psychology behind what behind motivation. And what he figured out was this, people aren't looking for features on products. They're looking for this feeling, Mm -hmm. this dream. So what he did, he tapped into a person's psychology, right? So for instance, one of the first ads was he he organized this march where a bunch, I think that they were, I don't want to get too much of this wrong, but um, strong women, because they wanted women to smoke, right? How do you get women to smoke? Okay. And they called them uh, freedom torches. It was around the time of... Uh, you know, uh, and so, and, and they had this march. And then what happened was women subconsciously who were susceptible to that realized, oh, I'm not buying a cigarette. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I'm buying this idea of freedom and whatever. So now when you see a Jeep commercial, no one's checking down on the features and telling you how the blinkers work and all that kind of stuff or the engine. Nobody cares about that. You've got like Backseat full of beautiful women. And, you know, yeah, and cool you're driving in, in the, the Sierra Nevada exactly. Mountain. Every That's time exactly. I drive, I end up there. Yeah. Right now, that can dovetail into what you're going to talk about in terms of our spirituality. What is important? What is it that um, is worth sacrificing money from our labor for? What are we going to lay down on that altar? What, what's moving us? Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly it. It feeds our idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. Adding that extra pursuit of happiness, I think, opened us up to this. What, you yeah. are what you wear. Yeah, that's yeah. What do people think? What will they think about me? Mm-hmm. And there's this roadrunner sy- syndrome that we keep chasing, but we wind up empty-handed. We end up with boredom, with anguish, with grief, with emptiness, with anxiety, and it can all be fixed by visa. With a giant rock that falls on our head from a cliff. Yeah, yeah. From a coyote. Uh- Acme, right. But you swipe your card and you can stop all of what you end up with. And I guess Christianity's response, I would say, are we consumers or are we seekers? Are we consumer seekers or givers? Maybe even too, but say more about this. I'm interested that you juxtaposed a consumer with seeking. Right, right. You know, there's two types of people in church world we're talking. There's church shoppers and there's church hoppers. Church shoppers to me is more legit. Somebody who's looking for a place where they can, ideally, where they can be fed spiritually and where they can help feed others. You know, church shoppers are somebody who needs to be in a place where they think this could be my community. I, I could 
hang out with these people, these people, we could accomplish things together where they're not triggered in the worship service in wrong ways kind of thing. And I'm not talking about challenging ways. We should all be challenged as a result of some of that. But church hoppers will leave a church just because there's something they don't like. And so they, they see themselves more as consumers. I'm not saying there aren't times when you need to disassociate from a fellowship. Yeah. But no, you're talking about motivation. Keep talking about this. this yeah. If people are hopping around because the guitar is too loud or because they're not playing the latest music that they're hearing on Christian yeah. radio, the idea of consumers or seekers is um, somebody who's seeking God, not their own personal experience mm. of that. Now, obviously, you need to be fed spiritually. But the thing that led them away from the other church to your church with some of those people, I think, well, what's it going to be that gets them mad or frustrated enough to leave our church to go to another church? You know what I mean? So I'm always a little leery until I see somebody land and plug in and seek to make a difference. You know what I mean? Before I get my hope up. I know exactly what yeah. you mean. Um, that's a great opportunity if someone says something that you don't like to maybe further your own understanding and your compassion, or maybe struggle with your own judgment. That's what we're in the church to do. I, I hear what you're saying, you know, rather than, well, it just isn't doing it for me anymore. Right. right. It's just, <laughs> I'm getting bored of the music. Yeah. I'm going to be entertained. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think Christianity's response is, you know, mix and match the power of choice. We get to pick and choose, but I would say, a lot of the world is picking and choosing and they're grabbing a little Christianity and a little of other religions. And they're like, that's my sweet spot. That's my truth. And that's not how a historic religion, not and name any of them, that's really not how it works. So I would say for Christianity, the choice is not necessarily between religions in terms of consuming and seeking, but I would say the choice for Christ followers would be between submitting or denying God. I think that's the choice that we have. Yes. In that way. But the problem is we're not willing to work that hard because then we get frustrated. And so we just want to go for the next fix. It's not doing it for me. So I'm, I'm going to go over to target now. Oh, now I'm going to head to Walmart. I love your language because the, these are the neural pathways, the mechanisms that worked on you say a fix. The same dopamine that causes people to compulsively shop for anything, churches or whatever like that, is the same thing that leads um, a drug addict to obsess about a fix. Because this is an interesting thing. So let's say a drug addict, uh, maybe it's on um, Vicodin or something like that, and um, can't get it, can't get it. He's in real distress. The moment he talks to his dealer and knows that he's going to get it, he gets relief. Wow. Remember, the dopamine is that go chase, pursue, pursue the goal. The goal in and of itself often lets us down, right? Mm -hmm. You get a moment of excitement and, um, okay, cool, goal, uh, mission accomplished. Then guess what happens? You're not satisfied because what's really working on that is to go and chase more, go and chase more. Mm -hmm. Have you ever bought something, when it, with you, whether you're a kid or as an adult, and you're like, oh, I really want this, and it, and it arrives, and you're like, oh. Yeah, just recently it happened. What happened? Exactly. Oh, it's stupid. <laughs> I bought the, this thing and it came in back and it was it looked like garbage. It was $50 wasted. I'm a sucker. 
Well, couldn't you return it? What was the I try, but it's one of those Chinese places, you know, where they're selling oh, it through like three that. different people and I they won't answer my uh, email. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I wanted to kind of this pursuit, which we're encouraged to have. We are being trained to be consumers. You know, the more, the more, the more. Interestingly, in the Old Testament of the Bible, there's a book called Ecclesiastes. It's amazing this book ever made it into the Bible. It is ancient. Jewish, Middle Eastern, Arabic type poetry. And it's written by Solomon, the King Solomon, who is the richest man of his day. I can't imagine what his wealth would have been if in today's dollars. But listen to this. He's king of everything. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, more wealth and more power than anybody. And this was at the height of the nation of Israel's power. And Ecclesiastes 1.1 starts this way. The words of the teacher the son of David, that was Solomon, king in Jerusalem. And here's what he says. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the north and to the south, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. And he goes on to say, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to consuming, to study, to explore wisdom, which is a good thing, we think, right? All that is under, done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid upon people. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Then he goes on to talk about the pleasures he sought because seeking wisdom didn't do it for him. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. What does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me under wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of water. And he goes on, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. You kind of get the point, right? And this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sin, the sun. That perpetual chasing, the perpetual consuming, even of good things like wisdom. And I'm not saying all material things are bad. And the pleasures in life, not saying they're bad, but when you become nothing but a consumer, I think we consume media today. Oh my gosh, yes. During COVID, all of the binge watch, binge, just calling it what it is, the binge watching. Yeah, and notice how it's structured, the technology is structured. It's structured like a slot machine. Because mm-hmm. most of what you see doesn't give any immediate satisfaction. It's, it's, it's likely to enrage you or scare you. But if I can just swipe down like a slot machine, then at least there's the promise of that next thing that will satisfy me. Yeah. You get through one episode. You don't even have to wait for a commercial. 
the little thing comes up and it's it's counting down from 15 seconds or you can push one click on your remote and you start the next episode you can skip the intros now matt look i think a lot of this is people don't realize it because we were born into this but we have a philosophy here in the United States and the Western world. We have a philosophy. Everywhere has to have it. It's a mm-hmm. worldview. But it's it's given to us so fully that we aren't able to step aside, back and look at it. And it's called philosophic materialism or naturalism, it's called sometimes. And it's this. And it's an old, old philosophy. It's not like we made all this great progress and now we've got this new philosophy right. of materialism. That right. was around yeah. the Epicureans were like that. The Greeks That's had it. these. Everybody, there, 2, there, were, years ago. there were always people that were looking to the world and the things of the world to give them that, 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 that highest thing that they want. And what you just read from Solomon and Ecclesiastes is perfect, beautiful description because you can't have any more than that. Right. 700. Why? I don't even know. They didn't even have, um, you know, medication to help. Right. What did he do to, you know, and, and all of these things. Um, and, and if you can get that much mm-hmm. and still not have that peace, then you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking below and not above. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, the key. I searched everything under the sun. sun. Yeah. How about above the sun, greater than the sun, outside the the sun? Creator of the sun. Because those are the folks that don't buy. Look, if you're already satisfied and you got that peaceful feeling of well-being, you don't want to change that. You're not out searching. You, you, you know, and I think that that's why we fast too, right? Because it gets us in that state of, okay, because food's very reinforcing, very reinforcing, right? And the food industry, they've got that down. They, they, they have some brilliant, you know, chemists, scientists working to get that bliss um, spot. Which I appreciate many times. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? There, there's but it something doesn't last. You can appreciate it because it's exciting. Right. But I think I told you once I was eating um, red licorice, which I think is the, one of the worst candies. There's like three worst candies, and that's on the list. Red licorice. Okay. And at a baseball game, and I took a, uh, you know, some of it, someone offered it to me. And then I was like, ugh. But I finished it. And then guess what? A few minutes later, I was like, oh, man, I, I want more. I don't even like this. You know, they because sugar works on dopamine is such a go get the next hit, go get yes. the next hit. Yeah. You know, we have been wired to be consumers. It is our identity. There's something wrong with me if I don't want what everybody else wants. There's something wrong mm-hmm. with me if I don't like what everybody else likes. There's something wrong with me. I'm not pursuing exactly what everybody else is pursuing. And you feel like the odd man out. Yeah, you're right about that. The gr- group uh, identity. Mm-hmm who I am is what I own, what I wear. It says something about me. That's a Edward Bernays sort of thing, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here's a saying that came out of our consumer identity that I want to challenge. Uh, and it's this, what's the line? The customer is always right. Yeah. The customer may not always be right is what I'm here mm-hmm. to say today. Just because we think we want it, just because it's hitting us where we, where we need it to. Um, when it comes to our faith, If there's things going on with this faith walk that I'm on that I don't agree with, or that I'm like, I am not there, or I don't have it all yet, or that's probably a really good sign. If, if my faith tells me I am always right, I know way better than that. I know myself too well to say, oh yeah, whatever makes you feel good. You know, that's kind of 
what it's been reduced to. And, and I would say the customer is not always right. And, and if you're identifying with what we're talking about, I would just say, own that and trust that that could be God's instinct coming at you to say, you know what, you are enjoying this way too much. You are, this pursuit is not who I've created you to be. I've created you to pursue me is what the living God would say. And these other things, I'm not denying everything from you, but you need to choose me over, over all else to find your true spirit, to find your true happiness. It doesn't always come at you like it's a fix. Yes. It's such the way to go. Matt, how, how much do you think gratitude plays into this? You hear what I'm saying? So here's the idea. If I, if I want what I have, right? And I'm having that state of, I, I'm affirming what I have as the good. Mm-hmm. This sermon, this music, right? Because, we, you know, some places they don't, you know, maybe they have a, a banjo and those are the churches I grew up in. Maybe a guitar and a banjo, not much there, right? But if you could have gratitude, then you have everything that you want there. The ingratitude or, or entitlement, right? Or this isn't enough is I think what drives the next purchase. Yeah. And this dissatisfaction, unless I'm consuming, is you've been handed it to it. your grandparents. They, they fought it off better, but it was being handed to them too. But now it's 24-7. It's in your pocket. It's in your earphones. It's everywhere. What is our response? I think we got to break through the clutter. I think it's okay to talk about counting the cost of what it is that you're pursuing. And maybe pursuing the wrong product or the fix that you think is going to match this identity that you have as a consumer. Yeah. yeah. If we could realize, yes, we consume. That is a part of our nature, but it is not our identity. And and these messages that you're talking about, um, a lot of processing, the majority of it's done subconsciously. People don't understand the effect. They, we think that we're always autonomous, always make a measured and reasonable, rational decision uh, about stuff. Uh-uh, get to know yourself a little bit better. Yeah, We're exposed to around 4,000 to 10,000 ads each day. 4,000 to 10,000 ads each day. Something is discipling you. Yeah. The question good. is what? Yeah. And can you even see it? That would be maybe my prayer for our conversation, that our eyes would be getting opened. I'm not just a consumer. That is not going to be where I find my ultimate reality. And the way consciousness works is like this. You can't just ignore something. Your consciousness has to be looking at something all the time. It always is. And and that's internally or images internally or externally. You won't just be like, oh, I'm not going to pay attention to advertising. Okay. But you will be paying attention to something that's not advertising. Where are your eyes? Mm. Where is your attention? Because what I'm learning about the spiritual path, you know, and spiritual development is this. Attention plays a great deal into this. What am I attending to? Right? It, it matters so much. Wow. And the idea of we're trained to pay attention to what our immediate need is and our quickest way of self-gratification. The th- and the things of the world, too. I mean, we're, yeah. we're warned all cautioned all, so many times in the scriptures to um, be aware of the patterns of the world and be very careful not to conform to those patterns or you'll end up like Solomon. Right. Yeah. There are two realities. There's the world's reality 
and there's God's reality, which has the world has a place in it, but it's God's reality. I heard somebody just last week, a professor, talk about, okay, Bible reading, a good thing, right? Well, a lot of us read the Bible in order to see how Jesus fits into our lives. That's not all bad. Jesus, how are you going to fit into my life? But a second reading is really more important, more vital. And that is, I read the Bible not to see how Jesus fits into my life, but I read the Bible to see how I fit into God's life how I fit into God's kingdom rather than Jesus finding a place into my kingdom of my life. Yeah. Reminds me of Psalm 42, that attitude as the deer pants for streams of water. Mm. So my soul pants for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That is the attitude. I want to consume that. You read it in church once and I got a tearful. It hit me at the right moment when I was really seeing the difference and really feeling the difference between, you know, the worldly focus and, and that. And um, that's what keeps us from fixating on advertising and, um, you know, the status symbols. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What I think that does and what this conversation is doing for me is it is exposing my pre-existing priorities. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm really honest about my priorities, my priority is me. My priority is that fix yes. in my life. Sorry, honey. I got to get this fix yeah, taken we, care of first. We human beings struggle with that first command. And what's that first command? Have no other gods before me. Yeah. Let's put God first. Mm-hmm. Take your attention to God first. We, we, we can't get onto the other things. <laughs> It's, we can um, do that, right? <laughs> That's necessary. The idea of the cost of consumerism on our souls, this cost of consumerism psychologically in our lives is, is immense. That's hitting me really hard right now. The cost of my consumer mindset. There's always a cost. That's what we talk about this a lot in this podcast. Some people I know struggle a lot with envy. They compare themselves to other people and things like that. You know? mm-hmm. uh, well, you know, there was a cost. If that person, you don't accidentally end up with a hundred million dollars. You know, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Okay. There was a cost to that. Now imagine what would you have to sacrifice? What would you have to worship? Where would your attention be? Right. Mm-hmm. What altar are you praying at? Who's your who's the highest thing in order to do that? Now that's not to say that there aren't some people with hundred million dollars that are very God focused, but but I'm saying it came at a price, and and also Christ had something to say about that. You know that 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 makes understanding and and living in the kingdom of God way harder. Yeah, I think when we get so caught up in this identity that this is how I'm wired, this is just what I am. I need to understand I'm, I'm going to be consuming something. Yes. Let's talk cost comparison. The cost of my consuming everything that's going to, I think is going to satiate me, which Solomon found out the hard way. Don't work none. You know, no, how, no, how, no, no way. No, how let's provide an in, informed comparison. Yeah. And also what's the end? Where is this getting me? What's the most important? And again, what's the, what's the highest thing? Okay. I get a new car. Okay. If that's the end, right. Okay. Got the car now. Mm -hmm. 
what's the pursuit? What do I told you what I find because I ask people, I try to get to the highest thing because values are really important and people don't always know their values. They're implicit. They're, they're not always explicit. So they don't know them to themselves, but what do they want? And it's always a variety of this one concept or word. People who have listened to us for a while might say either peace Mm -hmm. or a sense that everything is going to be okay. And that's the same thing to me, right? Because peace is that feeling of well-being. There are no threats. It's a non-threat um, sort of orientation, right? You know, there's a there's an Old Testament word the Hebrews use called shalom. The seventh day of creation, the Sabbath, shalom. God says, I have plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to bring you harm. Well, that word for prosper is the word shalom. It's peace. It's groundedness. It's foundations that I have for you that we cannot experience apart from God. And no amount of buying anything is going to give us that. That's right. But I do think that the subconscious or maybe it is conscious idea that if I just get a year or two worth of money in the bank, then I'll be able to settle down. Then they get that. And it's not (laughs) enough, right? Yeah. You got to take the direct route. And it's not like easy or anything like that. I'm not saying it's easy, No, uh, no. but it takes a lot of, you get better when you practice, right? Yeah. It's incredible. What if we wanted to consume, you know, we talked about the two kingdoms. We've kind of drilled down on everything that we're promised and that we should be consuming. Mm -hmm. It's just messaging we're receiving from somebody on the other side of our screens these days, basically. What if we consumed character? This sounds really corny, but only because I'm thinking like a mindset. What if we consumed character or consumed time in our lives that we gave to people that had characteristics that we respected? You know, what if that was what we aimed for? Whatever their wealth, whatever their status, whatever their look, you know, what if we consumed esteem? What if we consumed helping people in their needs? What if we consumed concern for others? or service, or joy, or freedom, or focusing on the right stuff? What if we consumed contentment, and it had Mm -hmm. nothing to do with the package on its way? And remember, we're dealing with dopamine, too. So it's like chasing. So what what if we chased all of those things? We chase compassion. So I was, um, um, I teach my kids how to ride. I like to ride bikes, right? So I had Brady, one of my twins, out on um, a trail with me. And it was a paved one, so there's room, right? He was going off the road a lot, not had, hey, Brady, baby, baby, because he's going to run off the road. And I had to let him know your bicycle is going to go, which means you're going to go where your eyes are aiming. Mm. That's just the way it is. Okay. Mm. That's true of life, too. What are you aiming at with your attention? Because you're going to go towards that direction. You can't help it. Wow. What would you talk to somebody in your practice about who came in and they viewed themselves very much as a consumer for meeting their needs. And it was bad enough to the point where this false identity that I'm, I'm a consumer, that's basically what I am spiritually with what I pick and choose, what I don't do, all of that stuff. What would be some ways that you would help that person get traction in their lives? People at least tacitly know what they want. They just can't say it. 
like we have tacit knowledge, which means, you know, things and you're like, you could know something right now. And um, you're like, okay, how do I put this to you, Marty? You know what you want to tell me, but you just haven't found the right words, right? It, It hasn't been explicated yet. I want to clarify people's values because we're all similar in some important ways. Mm-hmm. We all have a, and, and look, I don't proselytize or anything like that. So any of my colleagues, uh, I want them to understand that like, I'm not trying to form anyone into anything. What I'm trying to do is bring out what's within. Them. Relieve suffering. Yeah. They want, they want to relieve suffering. But when we get down to it, every culture has a religious instinct. We're acting out our religious instincts right now. Someone may say they're atheists, but watch their behavior. Their behavior will become religious around something like politics or maybe scientism, right? That that's their God is scientism, right? So a lot of what we're doing in therapy is um, finding out what's causing the suffering, okay? What they've been doing about it, which is contributing to it, and then um, helping them to focus on things that bring real satisfaction like uh, the 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 texts and and um and sessions that i like is when someone gets well they just have this sense of joy hmm. and it's not around consumerism like i got a text like this a few weeks ago from someone she's just so sweet and just a kind beautiful person uh, suffering a lot from trauma mm-hmm. and she was just outside and i don't know what thoughts she had but they were joyful, peaceful thoughts. And she just thought of me and, um, you know, not yay me or anything, but it, it helped me to understand where she is and confirm what I already believe is that we're in a spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. People don't know it, but you're in a spiritual battle. That's what all of this is. All of your anger, your hatred, your judgment, those are spiritual issues. Okay. If you just deal with the things of the material world, you're not going to be able to get to that. So your aim is off. And, you know, we talk about hamartia, sin. What is it? How does it, your aim is off. Yeah. One of the definitions is an archery term, meaning missing the mark. Right. Or you're not even looking in that direction. You didn't hit hit the outside of the target because you're looking the opposite direction for something that you think is going to be that goal that Mm -hmm. that you're going to hit. That's what we do in therapy. And and that is really cool. Uh, you know, you have to do other things too. Like if somebody's like really unhealthy, um, you know, with uh, sleep disturbance and diet and things like that, and or metabolic syndrome or something like that, it's going to be harder to think those types of thoughts, mm-hmm. right? But as people get healthy, oh, I'll tell you, here's a great example of this. I, I had a guy who used to live across from us in the lane. He would take like three months off work and, and walk these giant trails. I forget, like the, the, the Pacific Crest or there's one down in the Smokies mm-hmm. and whatever. Yeah, the I mean, Appalachian take, like, Trail. Months, right. Mm-hmm. So he told me about food. I said, well, well, how does that work? He says, okay, so at first you just want nothing but carbs. So you come into a, a place off the trail and you get these pizzas and all that kind of stuff. Okay. As he walks and quiets his mind, right? Sleeps outdoors, you know, thoughts aren't racing. He's not getting all those messages. He says, the next phase is I just want a big salad. Something simple and something clean like that. This And I said, oh, God, that's kind of, um, that's analogous to the spiritual path too. Like early on, we want these exciting things and it is exciting sometimes like it was for me. It's like, oh man, I'm just like, it's like, um, it's like Oreos, man. Where's the next thing? And then you get into the, the quietness of it, mm-hmm. the, the mundane aspects of it. There's where you can really deepen your, your spiritual practice. Boy, that's good. I would just add to that, that by our very nature of, of viewing ourselves and being told by millions of dollars and millions of hits every day, you are a consumer. That's how you're going to be satisfied is to consume, consume, consume. It is opposite. The scripture says, the more you give, the more you will receive. Blessed are those who help the poor, 
I am not going to find my identity only in consuming. Obviously, I'm trusting God my needs are going to get met. But where I'm going to find my identity most is in my giving, not just in my consuming. And that even goes for spiritual stuff. Oh, I listen to Christian music. Oh, I go to a good church. It's got great light show. I I go to whatever. That's all about consuming. You know, people who go to conference after conference after conference and don't find a way to serve. In some ways, the opposite of consuming would be serving and finding a way to help somebody else see some of their needs met. That's my challenge and maybe a challenge for people who are joining us today. Hey, Marty, that was a really good conversation. This feels really good. I loved it. I know. And it's only the first of six. Next week, I want us to talk about what are the psychological implications? What are the spiritual implications of us, not just understanding ourselves as consumers, but as spectators? Interesting. There's so much there. A spectator is somebody who is engaged, but not engaged because you're watching from the side. A lot of us feel like life is what's going on or what's going past us while we're sitting on the sidelines watching. And I'm really concerned for people who feel that. And I'm excited for um, us diving into that. This is cool. And happy birthday. Thanks. I'm 54, but I look like I'm 53. I look like I did yesterday. You must be so excited. You've never been this old before. It's very exciting. (laughs) I'm going to have some soup. You're a deck of cards with the jokers. That's what I say. Listen, why don't we wrap up? I'll pray. Yes. Almighty God, thank you that you have shown us that, that we are so much more than just consumers, that we have so much more value to people than just what they can get from us, that you have created us, Lord, to be hungry for you. You've created us, God, to, to receive from you. But, but you've also called us to receive that in order to share it, in order to not just be consuming, not just the bad stuff or the drugs, but to be consuming you, not as the end in and of itself, but to be consuming you so that we can live as, as your manifestations on earth. The word Christian, God, means little Christ. And we're called to, to be who Jesus would be if Jesus were me. Lord, that's kind of crazy to think about. But, but I pray that you would really open my eyes to how much more there is to me than just what I consume. Thank you, God, that you have the most amazing identity for me and for each person beyond what we could even think or imagine. And help us, Lord, to not allow our consumerism to get in the way of any of that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you like what you're hearing, join us at Patreon. You can talk to us personally there, get cool merchandise and exclusive video content and more. Just go to patreon.com and search for the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can get involved for as little as $1 a month. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.